This is The Other 51. I'm Brian, and this week I'm joined by Mike Freeman, and we talk about his new book, Football's Fearless Activists. My guest this week is an NFL writer, uh, author of the new book, Football's Fearless Activist, his ninth book, and one of my favorite writers to follow on Twitter, uh, Mike Freeman. Welcome to The Other 51. Thanks for joining me this week. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. So um, my first uh, my, my, my first thing before we get to writing, I do have an important, I think, caveat to make is that I turned 43 this week and I've grown up a Star Wars fan. Um, so I just need you to know that right off the bat. <laughs> That's um, unfortunate. That's just <laughs> terrible. We got in this interview right now. I don't talk to Star Wars. <laughs> so, so no, I, was, I, I wanted to ask you because Star <laughs> Trek is actually one of my one of my nerd dumb blind spots. Like I know the like all the stuff that's in pop culture on it, but right. where where do I? So and my wife and I have watched the newest movies, like the Chris Pine movies, and they were fun, entertaining. Um, but I don't purport that those are actual Star Trek. So where do I start? How do I get into this in a way that's um that, that that's best? Should I just jump right in anywhere? What's what do you suggest? I think you can jump right in anywhere. I mean, um, for me, Star Trek is like hard to explain to people who are hardcore trekkers but it's sort of like a way of life for me it started when i was a kid um i wasn't allowed to watch a lot of tv because the way african-americans were portrayed on tv my mom or dad like you're not watching shows with a bunch of people portrayed as clowns so i was only allowed to watch like literally one a handful of shows like one or two shows and one of them was star trek because of michelle nichols lieutenant uhura so you had this very strong African-American woman presence, um, and I was allowed to watch that, and then that's, and it grew from there. And so um, what Star Trek became was sort of just, it started that way, and it just became sort of a way of life. And you really sort of, if you want to start it, you can pretty much start anywhere. It's, I mean, there are parts of Star Trek that are, that are very deep and very powerful and moving. And there's a lot of stuff that's just entertaining. So you can, you can't go wrong starting with the original series or the next generation or anywhere. I would really recommend the original series. I don't think you can kind of jump in with any of the later ones because the original series is just, it'll give you just nice background and you can pretty much start anywhere. Okay. Um, So, yeah. And I really, we really don't hate Star Wars. It's okay. Like, <laughs> it's like when I, you know, it's like when I was in the army. You make jokes about the navy, and the navy would call the army guys dumb, and the army guys would call the marines jarheads, and like you know, it's like that. It's like a friendly rivalry, right? <laughs> um, and I, I mean, if I ranked my top five sci-fi movies, I mean, the second Star Wars, uh, what is that? Return of the Jedi? Did that die right? Empire Strikes Back. That's it. Yes. The Empire Strikes Back, that would be like top five. I mean, that's that's outstanding. And um, so we don't really hate It's just a friendly rivalry. I got it. I got it. And that's why I want to kind of help bridge the gap, you know, widen the circle a little bit. Listen, in these times of division, we need Trekkers and Star Wars people together. I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay. That's a platform I can get behind. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, so uh yeah so congratulations on the new book um very excited i've read part of it i haven't read beyond like the first you know 
30, 40 pages yet, but it's so far I'm loving it. So congratulations on this. It's, it it seems like a wonderful piece of writing and reporting. Um, I usually, so I've been having a lot of authors on during quarantine over the past six months. And usually I ask them like, what's it like to release a book now given, you know, state of the world and all. And it can be weird if you've written a sports book or, you know, something like that to talk about a book given, you know, everything right but your book is obviously and unfortunately um still incredibly newsworthy i mean just the news this week as we record this of brianna taylor and the uh, and the uh, grand jury uh non-indictments this week so i guess for you given the, the subject material of this book what's it like having the book come out now it's really um odd and sad in a way uh but also just really relevant um, because, um, this, I mean, I knew I was going to write a book about this whole, this movement, NFL players, their movement. I knew I was going to write about this when it first started. It's just a question of when. So you go back to 2016, um, Colin Kaepernick first takes a knee and it follows, um, the deaths of, by police shooting of several, uh, African-American men and women, and then you fast forward now, and this book comes out following the prominent deaths of African-American men and women. So it, what the main sort of theme of the book and recounting sort of how this movement came together and what it means now for the future is just one of the big things is just how Colin Kaepernick was right. He was vilified he was told he was un-american he was told he was anti-cop anti-military he was called a racist and he took on the president of the united states this whole movement did um took on all of that sort of power and was told that what he was doing was wrong and he should just he was told this is not the time to protest or this is not the way or this is not and all along he was right um i think for for people of color we always knew he was right but it, it really shows with the, the death of George Floyd just how right he was and how this topic is never going to go away. So the, releasing the book during a, during a really brutal time in American history with so many people tragically dying from a pandemic, uh, but we're also reminded that this other stuff still keeps going. It's right. just a constant barrage of stuff that just keeps happening. So, yeah, this was it was a tough book to release now, but I thought it was just really important. What you you said you knew kind of right away that you were going to write a book about this movement once Kaepernick started his protest back in 2016. What I get, I mean, the subject material, I think, is obvious to why you would write, why it lends itself to a book and why you want to write a book about it. But can you go back and kind of what about that, this specific issue and what this specific action by Kaepernick and the other players too, kind of sparked that this was a book? It was just what they were doing for NFL players was just highly unusual. Um, Just to give a little background for people who don't follow football that closely football is a very militaristic sport yes it's very much uh players are told to stay in line if you don't stay in line you will be gone um and of course that's colin kaepernick that's what happened to him i mean colin kaepernick protested and he's still not back he still hasn't played he's gone so that whole sort of system that the nfl makes players believe 
that they are beholden to the system and any deviance outside of that, any stepping outside of these, these very narrow lanes that you're assigned to will lead to your demise and your elimination from playing football. So what he was doing, um, I mean, I've been covering the league for over 25 years. I had never seen a, a player defy the system the way he did and Eric Reed. They both started together. So that I knew that right there was really sort of really piqued my interest uh, because it was just such an unusual, powerful stance against the league that is the most powerful sports league in the country and maybe the world. So um, that drew me to it. And also just Colin did. He was just a really fascinating guy. When this first started, I, I went out and I was interviewed him a couple times at his locker and spoke to him. And he was just a really smart, interesting guy in addition to what he was doing. So all these different things, not to mention what was happening in society as people, as the, the, the cell phone began capturing all these different incidents and it became something that people could no longer ignore. So it was all these different things. And I thought there's, there's no way I'm not writing a book about this. This is really important stuff and interesting stuff and unfortunately tragic stuff, but it's, it, it, I thought it captured me right, right away, right from the beginning. And that, that kind of gets at the start, but given the nature of the protests and obviously all the news that comes out um, that happens and the, the tragedies that keep happening, the shootings that keep happening. I don't want to call them tragedies because that takes blame away from the people who are doing this. But um, yeah. what, how, how did you decide to, to stop? Like, when did you know, like, um, okay, now's the time I've got to stop researching, reporting and start writing, given the fact that these, these incidents, these, these killings keep happening. That's a really, really good question, and the answer is, um, I, if I'm being truthful, I don't know if I, if I knew when I was going to stop. It just um, felt like it was uh, after Colin had, after it was clear that he was never going to play in the NFL again, um, and after just many more of these ugly, horrible killings occurred, I think it was just sort of a gut feeling like now's the time. And I don't know if there's any real right time to do it. it unfortunately, because so many of these things keep happening, you, you could you could spend the next 10 years waiting. Sure. You could, you, there's so many things and so many developments. Um, but I just thought, like, I think about a year ago, maybe a little longer, it's just time to start doing it. It's time to start writing. It's time to start doing it. And then, of course, as I'm writing it, you know, what happened in in Minneapolis occurs. So it just, it's it's just, it was never going to be the perfect time, unfortunately, because so many of this stuff keeps happening. Um, so much of this stuff keeps happening. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it was a really sort of tough deal to figure out when to stop and when to start writing but i think it i think it all worked out okay so one of the things that that struck me in in what i've read so far is that you start the book with kenny styles with his work when he was with the miami dolphins and his his protesting and his work um i guess kind of big picture and then we can we we can go uh kind of smaller parts of it as well but in a big picture what was it like and how do you juggle as you're writing and reporting this book 
balancing Kyle and Kaepernick, and obviously he's he's the guy with this, and not kind of he's yeah. the, the center of it, with it not being just about Colin Kaepernick and kind of looking at the movement as a whole and Eric Reed and Kenny Styles and other players and the reaction to that. So how do you balance like the mo- separating or do you even can you even separate the movement from the from Colin Kaepernick? So another really good question, and I thought for me, um, I wanted to lead with Kenny and maybe some of the other people in the movement because they just weren't as well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone sort of knows about Colin and his story, and, I, and there's things in the book that people may not know. Uh, but there's a whole sort of legion of guys, about a dozen or so, um, Kenny being one of them, who started, who, who right from the beginning, really backed Colin and there were a large, the vast majority of players didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they should, they should do this. They didn't know exactly how they should react. Many were scared. Many were fearful because they thought they would get kicked out of the league, but there were, there were a handful of guys and not many at all. The league's over 2000 players and you're talking about a few dozen that right from the beginning saw what Colin was doing and completely identified with it. And Kenny was one of those guys. So I wanted to sort of spend at least the early part of the book talking about guys like that, who, um, you know, Colin's a quarterback and um, that's a whole different subject about quarterbacks and black quarterbacks, but still he's a quarterback. He has a certain amount of power over other positions because it's the most important position. So that, that led to, um, the league wanting to make an example of him because he's a very powerful guy, very well-known guy. Um, but there's other guys like Kenny who aren't these well-known guys who could have really, really suffered and took the risk anyway. So I, I wanted to really just sort of focus on those guys a little bit too, because they really were sort of the backbone. When Colin started doing this, he was the impetus. He was the start. He was the core, but he had, some backup from guys and it, and it propelled him and helped make him believe he was doing the right thing. And then, and of course it later picked up steam. And then when what happened with George Floyd, it just really every player in almost every sport really got involved. So right. I wanted to focus a little bit on the guys that, that, people didn't know about well and i would imagine too from both the from a narrative perspective as well like you hear the name colin kaepernick and almost everybody has some already has an opinion has a reaction to it whether it's positive or negative and so this kind of gets away from that i would imagine a little bit and you can kind of get into the the meat of the protest rather than just kind of like that visceral cable news twitter reaction that you have to his name yeah it it um You say that name, and it just causes just really interesting reactions. And uh, I think, though, what I'm finding, what I what I'm finding, what I found in writing the book, what I'm finding in the reaction to the book, is there are there are people who get nuanced more than maybe we think, okay. and can have deeper, more thoughtful reactions. Um, I think because I'm a uh, a complete news junkie and I watch everything and I read everything and I see the extremists, particularly on the right. And I think a lot, everyone on the right thinks that way. And it's not necessarily always that way. There's, there are people who sort of, who don't, who don't understand. They, they, they wouldn't, they say I wouldn't do it that way, but I get it. 
Um, so there is some, there is, there can be some nuance amid all of the extremes that we see. And I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of extreme on the left with this. The extreme is the extremism I've seen and written about and experienced has been almost exclusively from the right. But it is there are some people who sort of get it, who who understand. It took a lot of people dying for them to get it, but I think some people finally get it. Right? Can you give me an example of that nuance you're seeing? It doesn't have to be necessarily a person, but like maybe a nuance argument that you don't you say, well, I don't agree with that, but all right, you're at least we're at least in the same room and on the same page, having the right conversation here. I had a conversation with um, an assistant coach in the NFL I've known for a long time. Uh, white guy, hardcore Republican right wing guy, um, who spoke. Who I talked to about this when I was writing, when I was reporting the book, and he spoke about how um, he thought it was anti-military, and you don't disrespect the flag, all that crap, right? And he said. Um, uh, I forget who it was. It was a really particularly vicious killing. Um, and he saw that and said, but I completely understand it after that happened. Okay. And unfortunately I'm forgetting which, which, which incident it was, but he, he complete, he said he, it, it didn't change his mind about, because he, these guys all would always get, don't protest this way. Right. Well, right, right. they're supposed <laughs> to protest, Right. Right. Right, like they're always told how to protest, how to do this, how to do this. Um, we're always told how to react. Yeah, but it's right. never no, no matter what you do, it's never no, not like that. There's that great meme: protest it, the right way, not never, like this, not like this. Exactly, exactly. And so, but he sort of understood after this incident and got it, and you know, but still said, I don't think they should do it. But still said, I I sort of understand it, um, and. I think there's more people like that than we think. Okay. So at least that's my hope. Right. That's my hope. So uh, you've obviously covered the league and the NFL for a long time, 25 years, like you said. Um, How much did that help you be able to report the book? Like you have some great – um, uh, not for attribution quotes or anonymous quotes in this, the introduction from an owner, from a GM, from a coach. You just mentioned the assistant coach. How much did that experience covering the league and covering football help you to, to do the work for this book? Well, it allowed me to really understand what Colin was up against um, and it allowed me to really uh, – I, I already understood sort of how the dynamics of football work. I wrote a story – when I was at Bleacher Report very early on from a GM who said he will never play in the NFL again. Mm-hmm. I think I remember and that. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that, that story became very widely quoted by people. Um, and there's another story I wrote where Donald Trump actually read the, read my story at a rally. <laughs> insane. <laughs> I mean, that was just, it was crazy, but it, covering the league allowed me to sort of really, know exactly what Colin was going up against. And um, I'll tell you a, a quick story that, that I found out, unfortunately, after Dan book was published. Um, but so th- this will give you an indication of, of what things were like and how hard it was for these guys to actually protest. So <clears throat> it's 2017, towards the end of September, um, Donald Trump calls the players sons of bitches. 
So there's a very visceral reaction across the league. There's a Monday night game in Arizona, Cowboys, Cardinals. Um, Jerry Jones, before the anthem, locks arms with the players and takes a knee. So um, that scene, it wasn't during the anthem, it was before the anthem, but that scene went viral. It was talked about everywhere. And um, what my reporting shows is that Trump saw that picture or the scene. It's not clear if he saw a picture of, of Jerry kneeling or if he watched it live. But he saw it, and he called up Jerry Jones and said, you can't do this. You can't kneel. This whole issue is a winning issue for us. And then he had a similar conversation with the owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft. So, and that, now, Jerry Jones is, is more politically aligned with Donald Trump, and Kraft is friends with Donald Trump, so they may have opposed it anyway. But after those conversations, you see Jerry Jones take a very hard stance against kneeling, and Kraft becomes basically sort of indifferent. What that, what that phone call Trump did with Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft, they're the two most powerful owners in the NFL. So when Jerry Jones started taking a real hard stance against it, it sort of he's like a rudder for the ownership. A lot of the owners are Trump supporters, but Jerry sort of gave them all cover. And that sort of solidified the league's really stupid response to how, this, how it all went down. The league just started when Jerry started really taking a strong stance against it. The league sort of followed suit and the league took a strong stance against it pretty much. Um, and then that led to Roger Goodell saying, we were wrong. I'm sorry. Black lives matter. <laughs> but they did. They, they just, they just, they let Donald Trump and this is part of the book. They let Donald Trump completely overrun them. Right now he's a president. And I get it. And they're afraid of him and I get it. But they, they didn't see what the core of what you and I have talked about, that this is a systemic problem. And this is a problem that was bound to repeat itself. And this is, a, this is the message Colin was saying that a lot of people didn't hear, that this is going to keep happening. I mean, he always he, he, he said that in one, almost that exact quote. And Lee completely missed that part of it because it's not set up to, to understand it. They don't really, a lot of these owners, not all, a lot of them don't care about the players. And they especially don't want to do anything that's going to anger what they think is a Republican base of fans or Donald Trump. They didn't want to get any tweets from him. So it was, it was a, they, that scene sort of illustrates how they completely sort of missed the boat on what was happening with society and this issue. So wait, Donald Trump read one of your stories at a rally? He read one of my stories at a rally. Unbelievable. So what? It, what so I I follow you on Twitter, so I know, and we're aligned politically, so I know what. But so, how did you find out, and what was that like? What was that like seeing that or hearing that? I didn't actually um, see it. Someone just sort of alerted me to it, and then I uh, I didn't see it live, and then I just saw it. I read an account of it, and he was <laughs> he started off by going. My advisors tell me I shouldn't read this story, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's just bizarre. I mean, it's just, I mean, on the, on the list of insane things that are happening, it's very low on the list, but it's just, I mean, um, he, he uh, really, as he does, 
saw what he thought was an opportunity to really divide. He saw this as, I mean, I think a normal president like Barack Obama has sort of a normal reaction, you know, like um, these guys are, are speaking about things that are important to them. And I back the right of Americans approaches. Donald Trump doesn't think that way. Most normal presidents think I need to sort of make sure the country stays together. He doesn't think that way. And this issue really showed how what he's about. I mean, he dived right into it and made it a huge political issue and tried to really divide everything along racial lines and portray the players, as he called them, the sons of bitches and anti-American and they should just leave the country and stuff like that. Um, he was a huge factor in the NFL's miscalculating this whole thing. So um, he's a big character in this book because he just, he really inserted himself in it in a way we really haven't seen any president in the history of this country do talk about athletes that way. I mean, it's never, it's never happened before. Yeah. And the only time a really a president has been strongly intervened was in the early like the early 1900s with, with when players were playing football and they were, there were a lot of deaths on the field, and I think they created NCAA out of that. But, right, and Teddy Roosevelt basically saved football, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the only time we've ever seen anything like And even then, that was to really sort of prevent death and prevent tragedy, and Trump exploited it. So it's it was really it, – it's just – it's just remarkable this whole thing all of it really yeah you 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 had a great line in the book that that kind of blew me away that colin kaepernick was the first athlete a sitting president has ever attacked and i paused for a second or i i paused for a second like yeah absolutely because yeah most presidents don't think like that that's amazing to think of especially when you think of muhammad ali and uh the 68 olympics and all that it's staggering to think that yeah and uh yeah, I think most presidents, even ones like you don't agree with politically, they they tend to think of things that help bring us together, even if it's superficial, even if they don't mean it. Uh, not, not not this one. Um, and and I also talk in the book a little bit about how um, the media, the right wing media, were really jumped in as well. Um, and and again, one of the main points is that. Um, in a lot of ways, Colin Kaepernick, uh, he obviously became the focal point. In a lot of ways, he was alone. His own league was attacking him. He didn't have much help from the union. There were only a handful of players who backed him. Um, there were large swaths of the media that were viciously attacking him. Uh, it was really, what he did was really unique and brave. And, and I, I don't think that's hyperbole. There's many different examples of bravery. But what he did was really brave. He knew, he knew when he did it that it would probably end his career. And I don't know a whole lot of people who do who who make those kind of decisions, who sacrifice their careers uh, for a cause. I mean, uh, it I, it ha- it's happened extensively throughout history, but I don't know a lot of people. I just don't know personally a lot of people who would do that. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that was going to be the case. So I ask everybody I have on my podcast this, so it's time to ask you, what's the best thing that you've read lately? Oh, uh, I'm reading Cast. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is like, it is extraordinarily well done. All right. Um, uh, 
it's just it's really really powerful and i'm only and it's like 80 88 billion pages i'm about <laughs> like a 20 percent through it and it's really good awesome really good Awesome. So the book is out. You can get it wherever uh, wherever you get your books. We'll have a link to the IndieBound site to support some independent bookstores. And Mike Freeman, thanks so much for joining me this week. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to The Other 51. Show notes for this and all of our episodes can be found at sportsmediaguide.com by clicking on The Other 51 tab. If you like the show, please consider giving it a rating and a review, either at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz.